Dear friends in Christ Jesus, before I begin this sermon, I'd like to read to you another gospel reading which will complement the one you heard uh, previously. This is from Matthew chapter 2, the story of the flight to Egypt and holy innocence. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if there's a more humble image in the Bible than this picture of Mary and Joseph and Jesus taking Jesus to be circumcised. Mary is sitting there holding the baby, this teenage mother. Joseph is there probably trying to pay the moil. And everyone just looks very, very humble. And yet, this is a beautiful picture of what's going on. They trusted so much in the promises of God. You really have to give it to Mary and Joseph because they had their priorities straight. I mean, their lives are completely and totally in upheaval right now. I mean, they had this government-mandated, unscheduled trip home for the holidays, which, you know, that must have been crazy enough in itself. But then now they're here and they have this new baby to deal with, newborn. So what do they do? They follow the faith that their parents handed down to them. They take their baby, and according to the law of Moses, they get him circumcised. That law actually goes all the way back to the time of Abraham in Genesis. In, in, in Genesis, in Abraham's day, things were also very chaotic. You know, there was a lot of uncertainty about the future. And yet, God had promised Abraham that he would be with him that he would bless him, and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. Later, in Genesis 17, God told Abraham that the sign of this covenant between God and Abraham would be circumcision. That is a sign of this contract, that God would be with his people, that God would bless them. And so, Abraham was circumcised, and his miracle baby Isaac in Genesis 21 was also circumcised. And so it was with every new generation for 2,000 years, right up until the day of Mary and Joseph. And it's just something, it's like a warm blanket that they could just rely on. You know, with all this chaos going on, they both were on the same exact page when it came to their faith. What are we going to do? We're going to take the baby to be circumcised. And I have to say, that's got to be a slight wake-up call for 
all of the single Christians that ever read this text, how important it is for those of you looking at maybe getting married in the future to be on the same page spiritually with your spouse. Maybe not, maybe not the same page about everything, all right? If one of you loves tomatoes and the other hates tomatoes, it's not necessarily a deal breaker unless maybe you really hate tomatoes, then I don't know, all right? But when it comes to your faith, that is a critical thing. Can you imagine how the story of the birth of Jesus would have gone if Mary and Joseph were not on the same page spiritually? Like, let's, let's imagine for a moment that Joseph was spiritual but not religious. And Mary was dating him with kind of this, this vague hope that somewhere down the line after they'd been married, then Joseph would change and suddenly want to go to synagogue with her. Let's, let's just imagine that. You know, in that scenario, they could probably have come to a very modern-sounding compromise where, you know, Mary doesn't nag Joseph about going to synagogue and Joseph doesn't mock Mary's faith. That might have worked for a little while, but what about when you add stress to the situation, like an unplanned pregnancy? Not only that, but what if Joseph had ignored or rejected the word of the Lord to take Mary into his house? And then add more stress, an unplanned trip over 90 miles from Nazareth to this town they barely know. That's 90 miles on foot. That's a hard trip. And every step of the way, Mary is spouting off about how the Holy Spirit has conceived this child. And Joseph, in this scenario, he probably would have made it to mile 40 about. And then, and then he might have dropped the line, you know, Mary, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. <laughs> All right? Now, obviously, this is a fictitious scenario. They had tremendous faith in the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you can see how important it is that they be on the same page about that. And so also with us today, you know, all Christians should heed the Apostle Paul's warning in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Be on the same page about that. Have that conversation. Because you never know what the future will bring. You notice that I injected another reading in the, from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 today. That's because uh, today's not actually the circumcision and naming of Jesus. Today's actually on the calendar, the, the Sunday of the Holy Innocence, the sad story of when a local ruler orders the death of a couple dozen toddler males to secure his political power. Now that's that's a terrifying concept. And some of you may be wondering why I'm not preaching more on that text. You know, some of you may be thinking in your heads, come on, Chaplain Bell. I mean, you know, we got uh, abortion going on today. This would have been a perfect text to talk about that. Plus, Chaplain Bell, you could have mentioned this Associated Press article from December 8th where Adam Beam quoted Governor Gavin Newsom saying that he was going to make California a interstate sanctuary for out-of-state abortion seekers should Roe v. Wade be turned over by the Supreme Court this summer. You could have preached on all that if you had gone with that text, Chaplain Bell. You blew it, Chaplain Bell. Now, you'd, you'd be right if you were thinking that. I could have talked about that a little more. But I wanted to talk about this amazing picture of the circumcision and naming of Jesus. And that's not to say your consciences, your Christian consciences, 
should be very concerned with Governor Newsom's desire to make California an interstate slaughterhouse sanctuary. And you should take whatever legal means you can to stop that from happening. But my concern with preaching on holy innocence and about abortion, at least too much, is I know for a fact I preached that sermon from this pulpit like two years ago. So the, the thing is, our sinful minds are sly. And if you hear the same thing you know, a, a couple times, it's very easy for someone in the congregation to suddenly go home and act like the Pharisee from, from Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You know the one where the Pharisee lifts his face to heaven and says, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that evil tax collector over there. I wouldn't want anyone here to lift their face to heaven and say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that evil pro-choice person over there. Right? Now, I am not saying abortion is okay. Obviously, it is very good to vote pro-life. That is good, right, and salutary for the unborn. And we do have a duty to protect them. And you also, if you raise or nurture children, especially at the expense of uh, comfort, a career, or your own sanity, thank you very much. Like, no one will ever thank you enough for what you have done. That is beautiful. But the problem with focusing too much on abortion is that it doesn't, as a sin, it doesn't necessarily apply to all of us, right? 2014, a survey came out of the uh, of a bunch of uh, people who had gotten an abortion, all right? And 60% of them were women in their 20s. 25% women in their 30s. And that was all across religious lines. It was 24% Catholic, 17% mainline Pro Protestant, 13% evangelical Christian, all right? So it, it covers a lot, of, a lot of people. And I'm not saying I'm endorsing identity politics where you can't have an opinion about you know, abortion if you're not in that demographic. But the fact is, if you are not directly associated with that demographic, then the, the temptation to have an abortion, that won't even be something that affects you, you know? And unfortunately, oh sneaky sinners, we like to focus on other people's sins in order to ignore our own. It's just easier. Just for example, let's say that there was football back in Bethlehem, right? And Joseph was a fan and Mary wasn't. Mary could have easily said, Joseph, you're spending way too much time watching these grown men get paid millions of shekels to give each other traumatic brain injuries just to move an inflated piece of cowhide up and down the field, right? And now, by the same token, if there was the Hallmark Channel back at that time, and you know, Joseph was not a fan, he could have said to Mary, you know, Mary, other than the fact that these movies all have snow and that there's always a heroine who's going back to her hometown for Christmas, none of these movies have anything to do with the nativity of our Lord. Right? It is easy to and try and justify ourselves by focusing on the sins of others. But our focus, especially today, as we observe the circumcision and naming of Jesus, our focus is not self-justification, but true repentance. Did you know that the, the Sunday or this minor holiday of the circumcision and naming of Jesus, this was created by leaders in the early church 
in the first, second century AD to combat the Roman pagan festivals and holidays that were happening around this time. There was a lot of activity with these festivals that was, let's just say, uh, unrepentant, all right? So apparently the Roman government's tyranny was only matched by its debauchery. And so they thought, like many of the lost today think that if it feels good, do it. But the church wanted to teach at that time that sometimes serving God does not mean feeling good. Sometimes serving God means being very, very uncomfortable. So in Luke 2, 21, nobody is comfortable in that verse. Jesus, the infant, he just got circumcised, right? Then you have Joseph. His emotions might be complicated by the fact that the child is not his own. Mary's emotions might be complicated by the fact that just a week prior, she gave birth in the first century equivalent of a parking garage. And not only that, but you can, I can imagine, I'm not sure about you, but despite what our hymnody says about the, the serenity of, of Mary, you know, during the Christmas Eve and that time, I can very easily picture her giving a bloodshot glare to Joseph when they're in the stable during the labor and delivery of our Lord and saying, this is all your fault. <laughs> of course, Joseph could have retorted, I had nothing to do with this. You know? <laughs> but with, with that going on, with all that going on, plus the, the forces of darkness, Herod and ultimately the devil himself trying to kill this child, they survived. They made it. How did Mary and Joseph cope with that situation? They trusted in the faith of the Lord their God. They took their baby to be circumcised, and in so doing, they were saying that this child was a recipient of the Lord's promise to be with his people, that all the nations, all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. And they named the child Jesus, which means Savior or Rescuer. Names in the Bible mean way more than they do today. Like Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name, name would smell as sweet. Well, that's not how the scripture sees names. Names define the essence of someone. So Moses, his name meant draw out because he was drawn from the Nile River after being hidden there to escape Pharaoh's genocide of the Hebrew males. And then later, Moses drew out the Israelites out of slavery through the parted waters of the Red Sea. Satan, his name means accuser because he is basically the best prosecution attorney in the universe. He's, he's the lawyer from hell, so to speak. <laughs> pardon, pardon me. Um, but, and there is no defense counsel on this earth that could defeat him. Jesus' name means savior, rescuer, because that is what he is. That is what he came to do. All the nations of the world would be blessed by a descendant of Abraham, and that descendant was Jesus. And believe me, the world needed a blessing, for all the world had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Old Testament ceremonial laws, that system of sacrifices, that was built by God to remind Israelites that the wages of sin is death. If you sin, then you deserve to die and be separated from God forever. And no amount of self-justification or pointing at other people's sins will save you any more than 
Satan will be saved by accusing us before the Lord God. But that system of sacrifices, that also pointed forward to the final, ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross where he poured out his blood for the forgiveness of all of your sins, which is what he did. And after he died, he rose from the dead. In Matthew 28, he said a new commandment, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent a new commandment to the church, and this, this commandment was based on a new covenant built on his blood, not the blood of Abraham. And that blood, that forgiveness is yours today because you have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everyone who has been baptized has put on Christ, which means you have God incarnate, the Spirit of Jesus in you today. God, and thus, that fulfills what Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age, which in itself is a fulfillment of our Old Testament reading from Numbers 6, the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. What could give you more peace than to go into this next year knowing that the Lord Jesus is with you. As you're thinking about the new year, 2022, there's a lot of memes going around about, you know, goodbye 2021. But we could do worse than to start this year as Abraham did, as Mary and Joseph did, with our faith in the word of the Lord. It was Joseph's faith in the word of the Lord that made him heed the the words of God in his dream, the angel, when he said, get up, get out of here, go down to Egypt. Herod's trying to kill the kid. And so they left, and by obeying the word of the Lord, they defeated the most powerful ruler in their area. Not only that, they thwarted the plans of the devil himself, the most powerful creature that God ever made. Likewise, King David, who the church celebrated earlier this week, if, if you follow the, the saints' calendar at all, King David was the most powerful king in Israel's history. And yet he was once brought down low because he ignored the word of the Lord and committed adultery with one of his subjects. And so when it comes to the word of the Lord, it doesn't matter how weak or humble you feel you are. Through faith in Jesus, it is the meek who will inherit the earth. And likewise, for those who are mighty and strong and trust in their strength to deliver them and set themselves against the word of the Lord, Philippians 2.10 applies. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that includes all pharaohs, kings, and governors. Dear friends, this year, remember that you have Put on Christ and entrust yourselves to the promises of Jesus. Remember that you are baptized. If you have a baby on the way, make sure you get that baby baptized. And if you don't, remember that you have the spirit of Christ within you. Every sin, every blemish, 
every, every source of guilt or shame in your heart is wiped away, which means you do not need to justify yourself by pointing out the sins of others. Instead, do some serious introspection. Do some serious repentance. Think about what are some things I could do to better serve my neighbor. Absolutely, vote pro-life. But also, maybe think about uh, Faith Lutheran Church does a lot of these food drives for Lutheran social services. They do a lot of good stuff for that. Maybe hop on one of those if you haven't already. Encourage young families in the church, right? Man, it means so much to us when you say that your, your kids did well in church today. I thank you for that very much. And if you can't say that, you know, like maybe, maybe the toddler behind you just screamed loud enough to make your ears bleed, maybe just, maybe just feign deafness. But by the way, everyone in like the sixth, seventh row on this side, I apologize for your ears. Thank you for your patience, right? Also, absolutely, pray for our governor that the Lord would take the sword out of this particular Herod's hands. Lastly, I will pray that all of you remember that image of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, that humble family relying on the word of God, trusting in the name of Jesus. Today actually marks the 150th anniversary of the death of Johann Conrad Wilhelm Leah, who was one of the founders of the Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. He died on this date in 1872 after pastoring a church that he loved for 35 years. He was a great leader of Lutheranism in the 1900s. And I want to leave you with a quote from him. May the name of Jesus be the first name that infants learn, the last sound on dying tongues, the last sound in dying ears, the beginning of our eternal life, and the sum of our never-ending hymnody in our eternal home. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.